How to find peace in a crazy world. That is the title of tonight's lecture. Uh, this presumes that we accept that the world is crazy. Sometimes people say that, well, the Hare Krishna people, they look pretty crazy themselves. But then if you see the, uh, if you, if you want to be normal, that's crazy. In fact, in America, uh, more than 70% of the population go for psychiatric treatment during the course of their lives. So, to be normal is to be crazy, and to be crazy is to be normal, according to the standard definitions. Life in Sarajevo these days seems pretty normal. At least you can go shopping for cabbages without getting shot at most of the time. The war is more or less forgotten and everyone's getting on enjoying life normally. Wouldn't it be nice if the world was peaceful? The Arabs or the Hezbollah and the Israelis could just shake hands and say, let's be friends. And Osama bin Laden would just say, well... I think I'm going to retire from terrorism. Let's all be nice to each other. Unfortunately, there's not much sign of that happening very soon. And in fact, the world seems to be getting more and more crazy day by day. And in what would have been considered crazy just a few years ago is now normal. For instance, uh, I don't think it came to Bosnia yet, but in many countries it's now legal for men to marry men and women to marry women, which... Uh, Still to many people sounds crazy, but if you say that, in certain, in many countries, if you say that's crazy, it's illegal even to say that it's crazy. So in Denmark, one man married his son. Wait a minute, why are you laughing? That's normal. Well, even uh, not so long ago, uh, divorce and uh, sex between men and women outside of marriage was considered something very bad. Now it's considered normal. So, again, the definition of what's normal and what's crazy is changing. For that matter, I mean, they say that the way Hare Krishna people are dressed looks unusual. But then the way people, the way the average person dresses nowadays is, would have been considered unusual a hundred years ago also. Uh, but definitely, uh, the world is becoming more and more violent, insecure, and people are becoming more and more mentally disturbed. So, more or less we can say it's a crazy world. So, wouldn't it be nice if everyone lived peacefully and we all had uh, nice little houses with gardens to live in and a nice dog and a cat and maybe a budgerigar also. And everyone lived nicely together. That would be nice, wouldn't it? You don't think so? Well, still the world would be crazy because we only live here temporarily. And we all have to die. And we take this life to be all in all. We uh, struggle to attain our goals. And we don't consider our eternal position. We're all trying to be happy, whether by living peacefully in a little house with... Uh, actually, no one lives in houses, do they? They all live in apartments. Uh, whether living peacefully with a cat and a dog and a budgerigar, or taking lots of intoxication and dancing on 
all night to techno rock music, some music or something. We're all trying to be happy in a place where we have to die. So where's the happiness? We're all going to die soon. I'm not cursing you. It's just a fact that uh, even even if if there's a young person, ten years old, and they're going to live for a hundred years, still it's soon. So how can we be happy in a place of death? You don't. Ex- if you see the prisoners on death row, do you know what death row means? Death row. It means they're in prison and they're waiting to be executed. Some have some have to wait two days, some two weeks, but they're all. So we can't expect them to be very happy. But we're all waiting for death. Now, if we talk like this, often people say, well, why are you so negative? There are so many wonderful things to enjoy in life. But again, the question comes, what is there to enjoy when we have to die? How to find peace if we have to die? We can find peace when we understand that we don't have to die. No one dies. The reason that we find the prospect of death so horrible is because by nature we are eternal. We're all going to die soon, I just said that, but actually none of us ever die. So what dies? Who dies? This body certainly dies. And with it, the identification that goes with it. I am this, I, I am this person who look in the mirror and think, that's me. I'm from Bosnia. I'm a Muslim. I drive a truck, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If you like tractors better, that's what's <laughs> But that uh, identification will die. But the person will continue to exist. This information we receive from reliable sources. The, uh, all the Vedic literatures, and especially the Bhagavad Gita as it is, spoken by the Topmost authority on spiritual knowledge, the Supreme Personality of God in Himself, Sri Krishna. This Bhagavad Gita was spoken on a field of death. There was about to be a tremendous battle which in 18 days would kill far more people than have been killed in all the Balkan wars put together. Sri Krishna spoke this transcendental knowledge to Arjuna. This is Krishna. He said that for the soul there is neither birth nor death. He does the soul does not come into being, nor does it ever cease to exist at any time. The soul is eternal, unborn. It is extremely old. And with the death of the body, the soul is never killed. So uh, peace can come by understanding that we do not belong to this world of destruction. Everything in this world is always changing. And everything's changing. We're trying to grab onto something that we can uh, catch for our enjoyment. But nothing stays. Everything goes. Because our nature is eternal, we desire to live eternally. Because our eternal spiritual nature is one of ecstasy. We always desire to be happy, but we don't find it in this world. Therefore, we're always disappointed. We can never be peaceful. We're trying to catch that for enjoyment, which can never give us enjoyment. This is called maya, or the illusory struggle for that which can never satisfy us. So, uh, Bhagavad Gita, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna teaches us how to achieve actual happiness. Ashantasya kutasukam, he states... How can one who is not peaceful ever be happy? But the basis of peace 
is understanding our actual position. It's a very simple thing to understand. But at the same time, this knowledge eludes the world's greatest thinkers and philosophers. Because this knowledge cannot be understood simply by academic achievement. All over the world there are very intelligent people making different plans how to achieve economic development, political stability. But nevertheless, it's beyond their ability to make a peaceful situation in this world. The solution to all these problems are given by Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. Three simple points, how to attain peace. The first one is, Bhoktaram Yagya Tapasam. Krishna is the Supreme Lord, and all endeavors should be for His satisfaction, not for our satisfaction. Now, everything we do in the material situation, we do for our satisfaction. But nevertheless, we're never satisfied. So, instead of acting for our satisfaction, we have to act for the satisfaction of Krishna. This will bring us satisfaction. Because, as eternal spiritual beings, we have an eternal loving relationship with Krishna. As we experience, if we try to satisfy ourselves, we don't become satisfied. The whole history of the world is the history of mankind trying to become satisfied and never being satisfied. All the different wars that are going on, all those wars that have happened and all the wars that will happen in future are just happening because people are not satisfied. They want by force that people should uh, submit to their plans. But our spiritual, eternal, constitutional position is to act to satisfy Krishna. People don't like to hear this. They cannot believe that we should stop to act for our own satisfaction. It's, well, it's normal, it's natural. I have to work, I have to act for my own self-interest. But our real self-interest lies in understanding that there is a person who can look after our self-interest much better than we can look after it ourselves. We are tiny, tiny little beings. What can we do struggling against the whole material situation? But if we understand that there is the Supreme Lord, who uh, he has our real, he has our real self-interest at heart. He even knows better than us what is good for us. This is the basis of faith in God in any religious system. That if we take shelter of Him, He will look after us. However, um, materialistic religion is still based on a serious misconception. People say, well, if, why, why are Muslims fighting Christians and Protestants fighting Catholics and Sunni fighting Shia? Why does it go on like that if you all believe in God? Because they all have the idea that God, I, I should worship God and He should supply me everything for my enjoyment in this material world. But... Rather, we should act in a manner to satisfy him by expecting that he will supply us ingredients for the burning fire of our desires, of our material desires, means that we expect him to serve us ultimately. So, the outlook which Krishna has adopted, requires, suggesting that we adopt for our own best self-interest is actually uh, completely opposed to that of Material, atheistic people and even materialistically religious people. It's actually a foolish proposition to think that God will provide us happiness in this world because again, this world is a world of death. 
Kimsu kam martyr dharminam, What happiness is there in the world of death? It cannot be any happiness. Or even if we think that God will provide us a place in a future heaven where we will enjoy very nicely, that's also a misunderstanding. Certainly if we surrender to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, we will be completely happy. But the idea that uh, we shall be happy by indulging in our own happiness rather than contributing to the happiness of Krishna, this misconception is the cause of all our distress. And therefore the, the materialistically religious cannot find peace among themselves because they're all competing for God's favor to exploit the resources of this material world. The real and complete faith in God means to accept him as our uh, best friend in, in all respects. He is the supreme controller. Not only of tiny little me, but of all persons in all planets, in all times, in all places, in all circumstances. But still he's so kind that even though there are unlimited living beings, he is still the best friend of each one of them. So these three points are to be understood. That we are not to endeavor for our own satisfaction, but to endeavor for Krishna's satisfaction. We are not to try to dominate this material world, but understand that everything is dominated by Krishna. And that our attempts to show our superiority over others are just uh, imitations of Krishna's superiority. So we can never be happy and never be peaceful as long as we're trying to take the position of Krishna. Rather, we should come to our natural position of service to Krishna, who is the best friend of all living beings. Uh, that means that we should also uh, act in a manner that is uh, not just for our own satisfaction, but for we should act in a manner that is conducive to the well-being of all living beings. Now in this crazy world of today where there's so much bloodshed and political turbulence, we wonder why should this be? We are shocked when a tsunami kills a few thousand people. We are shocked when someone flies an airplane into a big building and it all collapses and kills all the people inside. We are shocked at how cruel people can be to each other. The wars in uh, the recent wars in uh, this part of the world. How long ago did that finish? Twelve years ago, more or less finished. Eleven years ago, more or less finished for the time being. So they were. The wars were apparently exceptionally uh, nasty. We wonder just how can how can so many people die at once? Or how can people just kill each other? How can they be so cruel and heartless? We ask these questions and we have crimes, uh, what is that? Trials for war criminals. The judge will be sitting on the bench giving the, listening to the case against the war criminal. What's his name from Belgrade? Milosevic? Milosevic and, and others. So he'll be listening to them, then they'll have lunch break and he'll go and eat his beef or chicken or whatever. Which is uh, got from torture and slaughter of animals. Animals are being tortured and slaughtered millions every day, literally. 
And we wonder that why, why can, why are people so cruel that they can just kill others? But directly or indirectly, the whole society is based on killing. So it's not surprising if that we're killing so many animals, and it's not surprising that we just start killing human beings also. It's a massive blind spot or oversight in the outlook of modern man. You know what blind spot means? Blind spot. Means that you, there's... Yes, yes, I do. Okay. That they talk so much about humanity and fairness and at the, sa- and at the same time they're killing and torturing millions of animals, literally. So uh, definitely uh, this will... This is producing uh, karmic reactions. It, uh, it makes in the subtle atmosphere, a very violent atmosphere, a disturbed atmosphere. And if we understand that this is, uh, this is sinful, then this is, this is against the desire of Krishna, who is the friend of all living beings. Then we won't engage in such slaughter. We may say, well, in some religions it's allowed. It's, it says in, in the Bible, in the, in the beginning of the Bible, that God gave man dominion over all the animals, which is interpreted to mean that man should eat all the animals. But actually it means he just he put them in charge. So putting in charge doesn't mean you have to kill them, rather you should look after them. And it's stated in the New Testament how Jesus was uh, eating meat and drinking wine, although... Uh, Modern scholarship has uh, pointed out there's almost certainly uh, not interpolation, it's uh, interpretation. And uh, there's very strong evidence to suggest that Jesus was a vegetarian and a teetotal. But because the so-called Christians didn't want to be vegetarians or teetotalers, they just changed the Bible a little bit, not much. And similarly, uh, it's stated in the Quran apparently about killing animals. But the uh, the statement that one should not, uh, in, in the Jewish and Islamic religions, it's stated that one should not take the blood of any animal. So instead of understanding that to mean that we shouldn't eat the meat of any animal, they, rather, they drain the blood of the animal and then eat the meat. So even in the Vedic literature, in some sections, uh, meat-eating is allowed under certain religious conditions. But it's understood that this is to uh, regulate the lower propensities of persons who are uh, addicted to this ungodly habit. And that those who are on a higher level of spiritual understanding, they will not indulge in meat-eating. And then we find that in all the world's religious systems. So three points to understand to attain peace. That uh, Krishna... Is the, is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There is a Supreme Person who is overseeing and controlling everything. Everything should be done for His satisfaction. Not just so we can get something back from Him, but out of love for Him. He is the Supreme uh, Controller of all planets and all persons. And He is the Supreme Friend of all living beings. Now this point that we are to serve Him for His pleasure, not just... For that, expecting he'll give something back to him, but just out of pure love, this is the essence of Krishna consciousness. We are to obey God not out of fear, not just because it's good for us, not just because it's proper to do so, but out of love for him. Love uh, means an intimate relationship. This is the special contribution of the Krishna conscious movement to the 
religious life of the world, that uh, actual love of God is being presented. Whereas others may speak of love of God, it's uh, mostly fear of God. That if we don't do, if we don't follow the laws of God, then we'll burn in hell forever. Although actually God is not so cruel that He'll burn us in hell forever. Out of, out of, or we may obey Him in expectation of what we'll do something for Him because He'll do something for us. That is not love. The Christian consciousness is teaching actual love of God. Love means something very intimate. So if we are to love Him, we we have to know Him intimately. If we just think of God as some kind of unembodied principle or some uh, undefined and undefinable power, then where is the question of love? Love means person to person. Krishna is the supreme person. He is not a representation of anything else. He is the supreme, ultimate reality. And he is the greatest uh, lover. He loves everyone. That love is not not a general kind of feeling of goodwill to everyone. We may say, well, I love everyone, but uh, at, at best we can have a, a general feeling of goodwill to everyone. We may say, I love everyone, but we can't love everyone in the same way that we love our own children. Because it's not possible for us to have an intimate relationship with everyone, as we can only have an intimate relationship with a few people. But Krishna, being the Supreme Person, can have an intimate relationship with every living being. Not only can have, but does have. So we can only attain peace and happiness by reviving our lost loving relationship with Krishna. And to try to uh, attain peace or happiness in any other way is crazy. Someone's hitting himself on the head with a hammer. Why are you doing that? Ah, I like it. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? Well, that's what we're all doing in this material world. We're acting in a way that must bring suffering to us. And we think it's happiness, because we don't know what real happiness is. We forgot what real happiness is. Real happiness means that which is produced from the uh, loving exchanges with Krishna. In the spiritual world, there are five categories of love for Krishna. Everyone gets prasad? Don't let them go without prasad. The the first category is appreciation of, of Krishna. Simply appreciating how wonderful is Krishna. Next stage is active service of Krishna. Loving Krishna by by serving him. Then there are friends of Krishna. Friends of God. How is that possible? Friendship is established between equals. (laughs) But Krishna is so kind that uh, to share such loving exchanges, he becomes like the equal of his pure devotees. And to accept the loving sentiments of those who want to serve him like parents, he takes the position of a son to them. So a pure devotee of Krishna can serve him like as a parent, who although in a socially superior position, actually serve their children. And one can become a lover of Krishna, and kiss Krishna, and dance with Krishna. In a relationship which is uh, seems like that of husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend in this material world, but which is totally pure. So any person who has any slight trace of sanity in them must wonder how to get peace in this crazy world. So he might think, well, let's change the world so it's not crazy anymore. But when we understand that the nature of this world is crazy because everyone's struggling to find happiness, but they're getting 
dying again and again. And we understand that our peace and happiness can be obtained not by uh, any situation of this material world, but of a, of a situation different from this material We don't belong to this material world. Any endeavor to be happy in this material world is doomed from the beginning. So the idea of endeavoring for peace means to get some relief from this crazy situation. But much more than simply getting peace, the uh, situation of the soul is that of eternal bliss in service to Krishna. So those who are endeavoring for pure devotion to Krishna they are not normal people in the eyes of the world, but then in a madhouse, it's not good to be normal. The thing is that in the madhouse, if you're not mad, people think you're crazy. That's the, we see. Look at Bosnia now, 11 years after the fighting finished. People have to a large extent forgotten how horrible that situation was, and everyone is just absorbed in how to be happy in this material situation. Everyone forgets that they have to die soon and everyone is busy trying to be happy in the temporary situation. So Krishna conscious means how to become sane in the true sense of the term. Not to subscribe to the goals of this crazy world. So how to find peace in this crazy world? Chant Hare Krishna. Chanting Hare Krishna means to uh, declare our dependence on Krishna, that we belong to Krishna, our relationship is with Krishna, and with all living beings. But our relationship with all living beings is in relationship to Krishna. Artificially, on the mundane platform, we cannot establish any proper relationship. United Nations, the endeavor is doomed. It's a failure from the very beginning. They, they want to keep peace. They want peace in the world. And to maintain peace, they send in armies with guns and tanks and bombs. If the only way they can keep peace is by killing people or threatening to kill them, then their endeavor is a failure. Real peace and real happiness is only in Krishna consciousness. Is there any question or comment about this? Is there a, another mic you can use? There's one practical suggestion. How People ask, how can you get peace? The first thing is, don't have a cell phone. <laughs> That's practical. Have a, have a bead bag, chant Hare Krishna. Yeah. Talk, talk to Krishna. Yeah, what's your question? Do we have another mic? How, how can we understand the, the phenomena of forgetfulness uh, according to the loving in the according to the relationship with Krishna. Because we think we are from here, and uh, we have to love Krishna. Could you phrase that more clearly? Uh, we, we forgot uh, about uh, about Krishna, and uh, we were speaking uh, that we, we, uh, we must develop, we must uh, revive our relationship with Krishna, our love. How did we forget Krishna in the first place? Is that the question? Yeah, this, this is part. This is part of the question, but usually people think we are they're thinking that we are from here, and God is, if He exists, He's from somewhere else. How can I love the person which I don't know? How can we understand this? This not understanding. Uh, if you understood that, you can translate <laughs> it. 
Okay, you translate it then. Then maybe you can translate it back into English. I might be able to understand it better. It's a kind of abstract thinking of philosophers. You can't understand what they're talking about. <laughs> it seems that a lot of people uh, uh, experience this idea that we are uh, we are actually from the spiritual world, that actually God is our uh, true friend. They experience this as uh, kind of strange because people are used to uh, thinking that we are and then you come and hear Bhagavad Gita as it is regularly, daily. Get information, get real information of where we actually belong. It's not a matter of uh, opinion. We have to hear regularly. Nityam Bhagavata Seva. All the, all the dirty things in the heart are destroyed by Nityam, daily, hearing the message of Bhagavatam. Therefore, Prabhupada was uh, so insistent that we have daily classes on Bhagavatam so we can daily hear this. Unless we daily hear topics of Srimad Bhagavatam, then uh, we're going to be overwhelmed by misconceptions. Yeah, any other question? There's no sound. Could you repeat the Yeah, say it in English, then repeat it in Bosnian or whatever language. You were speaking about the death. We all know we, uh, death has, will come for each one of us. How to prepare uh, the, the best way for death? For the death? Well, that's a very good question. That question forms the whole basis of Srimad Bhagavatam. With this, uh, among the 18,000 verses of Srimad Bhagavatam, this, the verse expressing this particular question was read and discussed in the Iskon Sarajevo Center this morning. So the answer comes in the approximately uh, 17,000 verses following it. So you can very well learn this science of how to prepare ourselves for death by hearing regularly the Srimad Bhagavatam. The question of um, Parikshit Maharaj is that what is the duty of every human being especially of one who is about to die. Riyamaranam, one who is on the path of death. The answer is, of course, that we should take up the process of Krishna consciousness. I have this one book here, Beginner's Guide to Krishna Consciousness, which outlines the basic processes of Krishna consciousness. That is, uh, in detail, that's given in the uh, Nectar of Devotion. And uh, practically we have to do that. We have to associate with devotees who are regularly hearing and chanting about Krishna. As you have pointed out, we can die at any time. So we should uh, prepare ourselves by seriously taking up Krishna consciousness. It's uh, it's a very serious process. It's the only really serious thing in existence. Everything else is just children's play. Foolish people playing at being something they're not. You know, this... Uh, George Bush is pretending he's the president of America. Tony Blair is pretending he's the prime minister of the United Kingdom. We say, no, he really is the prime minister for a short time. Then we have to take another body. And according to our actions in this life, we get a body in the next life. Then we have to pretend to be a dog, a cat, a chicken or whatever. So Krishna consciousness is a very joyful process. At the same time, it's intensely serious. It's required that we chant the holy names of Krishna, uh, regularly 
hear the message of Krishna from the scriptures. Shravanam Kirtanam, these are important processes. Hearing and chanting about Krishna. There's so many things to do. The process in the process of Krishna consciousness. Lord Chaitanya's process, there's missionary activities also. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would personally take his devotees out in the towns and villages chanting the holy names of Krishna. Udilavarana Purabhage Dvijamani Gora Omani Jage Bhagata Shamhulaya Shati Gila Nagara Braja. He would early in the morning Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would get up and take his devotees and go to all the towns and villages chanting the names of Krishna. And in uh, recent generations, Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvara Thakur has introduced uh, another form of Sankirtan or glorifying Krishna by producing and distributing books like this Bhagavad Gita as it is. So in the beginning we learn how to chant Hare Krishna and learn the science of Krishna consciousness by serious study of the books of Srila Prabhupada. And then after some initial training we uh, take part in the missionary activities of Krishna consciousness, of trying to spread Krishna consciousness to others. Yeah, any other question? No. All right, well we're talking about book production and distribution. I was mentioning the uh, Bhagavad Gita Yes, this one book is more valuable than all the university libraries in the world. University means a very serious academic endeavor to fill our heads up with lots of information about things of no actual importance. Bhagavad Gita is the uh, synopsis of factually important information. So persons who are actually uh, very intelligent they don't study, they don't take interest in that which is of no value to them or anyone else. But they seek out the essence. The essence of all knowledge. Who is the Supreme? What is our relationship with Him? Is described in Bhagavad Gita. So we have many uh, wonderful books written by Srila Prabhupada who brought this quintessential Vedic knowledge to the Western world. On Srila Prabhupada's order, I'm also writing books. So those who are already having Prabhupada's books and studying them regularly are also invited to see some of my books which are available here. you want to speak something about that? Do you want to show them? Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Krishna